It's no secret, Sabbath is my favorite day of the week. Now, I know what you're saying. You're a pastor. You have to say that. But that's not actually true. I don't have to say that. In fact, for most pastors, Sunday or Monday is their favorite day of the week. <laughs> but for me, it's Saturday. But it has nothing to do with being a pastor. Actually, it has everything to do with being a pastor's kid. My father was a pastor. When I was a little boy, Saturday was a day that was different from any other day. I know I romanticize it a little bit, but... In my mind's eye as a child, the sun always came out on Sabbath. I've sort of captured that in my head. Like no matter how rainy or how dark the week was, it was as if for me as a child, every Saturday was a sunny day. I loved it. It was also different for us because, as I mentioned, my father was a pastor. So Saturdays, Sabbaths, we're a busy day. We were going to do a lot of stuff. We got up early. We got ready. We went to church. We were at church. If you're from Spanish church, you know what I'm talking about. It starts early and goes way late, right? And I, I, I loved Sabbaths because we were going to do stuff. But one of the cool things for me as a kid is that Saturdays is a day that I got to be with my dad. See, during the week, he would go off to work. He would be busy. He had a lot of jobs. And mostly I hung around my mom. But on Saturdays, my dad would take special time to just be with me. It was my favorite day. So here's what he would do that was different from any other day. <clears throat> Saturday mornings, he would call me and he said, let's get you ready. Let's get you ready. And he would get, help me get dressed. Now, I'm from Bolivia. I was born in Bolivia. I was raised there in my early years. Uh, and uh, there was no fancy clothes in Bolivia. But every once in a while, these large boxes would arrive from the U.S. Um, if you're from another country, if you're an immigrant, you, this may have happened to you. But I had cousins who were growing up here in San Diego. And they would package all their leftover hand-me-downs, and they would send it to us in Bolivia. But for us, it was like Christmas. This huge cardboard box would arrive, and we'd open and look what's inside. Now, I don't know if you are... The kind of person that likes hand-me-downs or not. Uh, do you like hand-me-downs? Anybody like hand-me-downs? Okay. Some of y'all, most of y'all like hand-me-downs. But for us, you got to understand, like these boxes contain treasures of things we had never seen. We would open them, and there would sometimes be toys in there, uh, toys that we couldn't imagine, like where this come from. But there would also be really cool clothes. And my dad would dress me up, and I'm not making this up. One time... The, I, I got this little outfit. It was sky blue polyester pants with a shiny black shirt, polyester, and a sky blue polyester jacket. I, I was like a suit. I was like Saturday Night Fever. Bam. I didn't even know what that was. But apparently it was big here. And my, my, my cousins had, and then they got too small. And so I would strut in the church wearing my polyester light sky blue suit. And I, was, I felt like I was a king. But what was really cool about it, though, is that I was dressed like my father. He was wearing a suit. I was wearing a suit. And on Saturday mornings, he would get me on a chair in front of the bathroom mirror. And then he would do this thing that, I don't know, I think only Latin American men know about. <clears throat> he would get this little, this little jar. Out of the out of the cupboards called tres flores. Anybody? If if you if you're yeah if you're not Latin American you wouldn't know. Um, 
And we get this little jar called Tres Flores, and um, it kind of looks like uh, Vaseline, uh, uh, sort of yellow in texture. And he would open it up, and he'd take some goop of it out, and he would rub it in his hands, and then he would tussle his hair like this, you know, like original hipster. He'd try to make it look like it was, uh, but it was shiny, it was glossy. It wasn't gel. It's something other. I think they have something nowadays. It's called Gorilla Snot. It's very similar to that. Y'all you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So he would get the stuff. Well, that was my father's special thing. But on Saturday mornings, he would put me on this chair, and then he would comb my hair, and he would get a little bit and tussle it through my hair. And then he'd get out that comb. Y'all you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He'd get out that comb, and he'd do this thing like this. And then he would tell me, oh, I'm going to give you something special today. I'm going to give you a ducktail. No, not the, not the cartoon. Woo! No, not that one. He would, this little, little comb on the back of my head, he called a ducktail. And I was like, oh, check me out, guys. Look at, look at my, is it there? I was just, it, it just thrilled me to no end to be with my dad and to have the special attention from my father. And we usually lived next door to the church. There was a house usually in a building next door, and we would walk to church together. Like I said, it was a big day, lots of commotion, but I remember trying to keep up with my father, and he would tell me as a little boy, he says, if, if you want to keep up with me, you got to learn how to do the pastor's walk, which is, which is fast. No one can catch up with you, right? Yeah, so he would take these big steps, he'd have his briefcase, and he'd walk real fast. Now, I can't even walk that fast, but as a kid, I would try to catch up with my father, because here's the thing that most men know when we're little, and I think this applies to women as well, but with their moms, is that when we're little, we idealized and in some ways idolize our parents, our fathers and our mothers. And as a four or five-year-old, I wanted so badly to be like him. You with me? You with me? Okay. Now, I'm looking at some of the teenagers, and they're like, oh, gosh. Like, ugh. Yeah, but see, that's now. But when you were younger, right, when you were four or five, you looked at your mom and your dad, and you are like, you, you, you wanted to be like them. I wanted to be like my father. I wanted to be a pastor as a, as a little boy. Yeah, you might think I'm crazy, but this is what I did for fun. I would put up the chairs and put stuffed animals in them, and I would, like, preach a sermon to my stuffed animals. I wanted to be like my dad. My brothers and I grew up baptizing each other in the pool. That's what we did for fun. Yeah, we go swimming. Okay, your turn, Mike. Okay, boom. Okay, your turn. And we take turns because we're a pastor's family. Like we idealize this thing. And maybe your dad wasn't a pastor. Maybe your dad uh, uh, worked for the police or was a mechanic. In some way, shape, or form, you probably, when you were young, looked up to him and wanted to emulate and wanted to be like him. I did. It turns out all of us, inside of us, there seems to be this, this, this pull, almost like a gravitational pull that draws us towards someone whom we want to emulate. We want to become like. Can you remember being four or five and who you wanted to be like? Can you remember? Young ladies probably stepping into your mother's high heels or perhaps an aunt in the family. Uh, trying to put on, uh, my mom had these wigs around the house. I don't know if anybody wears wigs, but there was wigs around the house, and people would come over and put them on. Now they're just weaves, right? You can't tell. But uh, they put this wig on, and, oh, look, I look like my mom. Uh, I'm not saying I did that, but, you know, people would do that. 
We all have this sort of innate inside of us that we want to pattern ourselves with almost subconsciously. We, we, we look at people and we, we, we pattern, we, we draw our steps. It turns out this is kind of how we were created. Look, we've been studying this. So I want you to follow along with me. Open up your Bibles. Uh, there's one in the pew in front of you or in your smartphones, but don't let me catch you cheating watching Facebook. Here, let's go to the Bible app in your, in your phone. Here we go. Uh, Genesis chapter, chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We've been having this conversation here in the very beginning. We're trying to understand who we are, our identity, and specific our design. And in Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26, <clears throat> the Bible tells us that when God was in the act of creating humankind, he said, verse 26, read along with me, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, over all creatures. Verse 27, important. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. It turns out that when we were created, we were designed in essence to be like God. His words, in our likeness. So inside of us, in our spirit, in the way we work, we have this mechanism that draws us towards imitation, to imitate and to become. And God made us that way. And it is this kind of innate desire that continues to exist in creation, in mankind, men and women. So you may have found yourself, like me as a child, idealizing, idolizing your father or your mother. And if you're honest, it's probably a journey that has taken you all the way through to where you are right now. Here's what I mean. <clears throat> Almost unbeknownst to you, you've been watching and observing life and drawing patterns. For those of you guys that are fathers or grandfathers, do you ever catch yourself in a moment of uh, carelessness and suddenly realize you just said something your father used to say to you? You know what I'm talking about? Now, women, you're all the same way. Like, I, I don't want to, because you'll be upset, right? Like, like, they say the worst thing to tell a woman is, oh, you look just like your mother. And they're like, oh, for whatever reason, sometimes women have difficulty with that particular relationship. Or you sound just like your mother. What? You expect to get a backhand there. But in some ways, we, we, it's almost impossible for us to disassociate ourselves from the patterns that were left before us. So I caught myself this week, right? Guys. If you're a father, you know, with me for just a second. I caught myself this week. I was getting the family out of the house. Come on, let's go. Get in the car. And they ran in the car. And then I turned around and I was like, ah. Oh, and I walked through the house, turning off lights. And going, where do they think? Money grows on trees. We're not made of money. You with me? Did your dad ever do that? The thing is, the thing is, when I was a kid, not a believer, when I moved to the States here, I have an, uh, an adoptive father who would do and grunt. And I remember thinking to myself, man, what a mean old grump. What's the little light? What's the big deal? When I grew up, I'm never going to complain about the lights. I'm going to leave the lights on all night. I remember thinking this as a teenager. But here I am as an adult man going, oh, my God, where are these kids? Where do you think? Money grows on trees. And I was like, oh. <laughs> you with me, guys? You with me? Almost like, a, like a, a reflex, it comes out of you, right, before you had a chance to catch yourself. You're like, because I said so. Oh, wait a minute, what? I was never supposed to say that. <laughs> it turns out that we were created, hardwired, if you were, programmed to find someone or something to become like. Emulate. 
And God said, let us make man in our image. And he created us, male and female, in his image, in his likeness, in his pattern, to be like him. That was our original design. But something happened. God's intentions were invalidated. Uh, they were broken. When we look at what God intended when he first created us, he wanted us to have some pieces and parts of him. But as we discussed two weeks, he did not intend for us to be exactly like him. There are qualities that belong to God that needed to stay with God. They were never intended for us to have. We talked about this. I'm going to just refresh your memory. For example, God is omnipotent. He did never, never intended for you and I to be omnip omnipotent. Women, say amen to that. Because I know you married some dudes or you're dating some dudes who think they are or want to be omnipotent. I'm breaking down. I'll be serious with y'all. This is the real deal. They want their way and they think they can make it so that they can power. This is the history of mankind. See, God never intended for us to be omnipotent, to be all powerful. But history tells us that men, 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 just going to own up to this, that we have been seeking power relentlessly so we can exact our will on womankind and everybody else. Problem is, though, God never intended us to have that. That's not the part of his image that he intended us to be like. God never intended us to be omniscient, like all-knowing. That was reserved for him. But something went wrong. Something went wrong, and now humankind pursues knowledge. And the problem with pursuing knowledge, and by the way, you know, like we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, internet makes everything knowledgeable, is that it breeds arrogance in us. It breeds arrogance. It makes us falsely believe that we are capable of doing things that we're not or capable of understanding things that we're not capable of understanding. I don't know if you read this, but this past week, this past week on USA Today, a published article was uh, uh, talked about a new potential theory or discovery about the universe. Did you read this? Scientists just published a research paper that says that quite possibly the universe, the universe is not 3D, but it is actually 2D. Honest truth. That is actually 2D. Much like we're watching a movie on a 2D screen, on a flat screen, they're saying that, the, that there's some cosmic dust left over from the Big Bang Theory seems to suggest that it's very possible that when our telescopes look out at the universe, past Mars and the rest of that nebula, that essentially it's a movie. You see? God never intended us for, to know it all because we are not capable of that. God never intended us to be omnipresent because we're not capable of handling that. We exist marked in time. So what did God design us for? What were, in his image, the Bible says, well, what were we going to do if we weren't meant to have all the power, all the knowledge, and be ever-present? What were we designed for? Pastor Carla so eloquently put it out last week. We were designed for another part of God that's unique to him, but that he gave to us. And the clues are right there. God says, verse 27, well, I'm sorry, verse 26, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. The one unique qualifier that God puts in us is this, that he is a we that he is expressed in an hour. See, God is multiple. 
One God, three persons. God is a we. He exists in community to himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when he created us, he made us to be in community. As Pastor Kayla pointed out, chapter 2, there goes into great detail explaining how when God created mankind, he didn't just create male, he made female, and that we would be made from the same side. And if you read the end of that chapter, the Bible tells us here, and you know, it gets repeated at most uh, weddings, verse 24, chapter 2, read with me. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh, right? Romantic ladies, right? One flesh, be united. God designed us as an ultimate experience of who he is that we would exist in such community that there would be a new one fleshness to it. It's what's beautiful about pursuing a marriage relationship, the opportunity to explore that one fleshness, that one, the, the unity. But it's that part of God that he created in us to be like him. That we would exist in community. We were not meant to exist in a vacuum. We were not meant to grow unto ourselves by ourselves. That's why when you were a kid, you were hardwired to look for others to develop your own identity. It's why I had a duck tail. You follow me? When my parents passed away when I was 10 and I moved to the States, that was one of the most difficult things looking back for me as a preteen and a teenager, trying to decide who was supposed to help me find my identity? Those are difficult years. Teenage years, you're morphing, you're shaping, your face changes, your attitude changes, and you need to find an anchor to help you understand who you are, where you came from, what your purpose in life is. And often we go through this particular uh, season in our life and not having a good role model, right? Not having a, a, a faithful father in our lives, not having a kind or generous mother in life. We, we, we put that need onto someone else. Sometimes we get lucky and we find a good uncle or a good mentor, but many times we are unlucky and we put it in someone else. We put it on someone else. I'll give you a silly example, but I was a kid. I was about 10 or 11. And like all I could think in my head was that what I really needed was one white glittering glove. <laughs> Some of you are laughing. The young ones are like, what, the, what does that mean? Yeah, it's all right. Whatever. One glittering white glove and a red jacket and some, some soul glow on my hair and a little bit drippy and I could do this thing and da -dun 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 -dun, right? Now, come on. Now, I bought, I bought the book, you know, in the scholastic paper. There was, a little, there was a little Michael Jackson book. I ordered it for $3. Like, I wanted to be like Michael. <laughs> I wanted to do it. Some of y'all are laughing at me, but you're guilty too. Hmm. And if not him, maybe a sports figure or somebody else. Look, when I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. There was an even ad campaign called Be Like Mike, right? Be Like Mike. Society knows we have this engine. And so they superimposed options for you to be like. Be like Mike, this whole ad campaign where it, you could drink Michael uh, Jordan's, you know, whatever it was, Coke, Sprite, I remember, or you could definitely wear his Jordans. Like some of y'all still got some. I know it. You got it off Craigslist. Like, check out my Jordans. 
People killed for Jordans. Yeah, Literally. See? So some of us didn't have a good role model. Or we just went through that season where we rejected it. And we put our eyes and set our sights on other identities. And we allowed those other identities to inform who we should be, how we should act. This is what our society has come to now. That's why we idealize the celebrity culture. And why when, when Kylie Jenner puts out a little thing of lipstick, it sells out. No one admits it, but they want to be like Kylie. It's why every celebrity endorsement brings great revenue, right? Because we have this engine inside of us that we were designed to emulate. We were created to be like. But the problem is here that God designed us to be like him. But we messed that up. It's there in chapter 3. I want you to follow along with me. Bible says that the sermon was more crafty. Chapter 3, verse 1. Okay, I'm going to read fast. Don't get left behind. We go, and the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals God had made. So he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You notice what she's expressing here. That's the truth you need to know. There are some things, many things, in fact, most things God has said yes to. He has provided for you. But there's a few things God said, uh-uh-uh, no to. All right, that's clear. It's in the beginning. You get that? Even before the fall. God says yes. God says no. you got to capture that. And, and, and the woman says, God said, we may of this, we may not touch it, or we will die. And the serpent says, verse 4, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You notice what he did there? You notice what he did there? He took God's own words and expressions when God said, let us make man and woman like us in our image. And the serpent said, yes, yes, yes. Don't you want to be like God? But what he's offering there is a substitute idea. See, in this concept, the one that we are originally from, we were meant to share the attributes of God that he intended for us to share, but not every attribute. But the serpent says, no, be like God in that other way. And, and, and what the serpent proposes is that rather than to pursue one fleshness, one community, oneness with God, the serpent says, no, if you do this, you will be akin to God, like as God. You will replace God and you will know good from evil. You won't need him anymore. See, in God's original design, when he made us like him, The line was clear. There was but one God and we, his creation. You see it? But what the serpent offers is, no. Put yourself here. You will be as God. No longer under him. Optional to him. Or him optional to you. And the Bible tells us here that when he said that, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of it and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. That's right, guys. You were there all along, which makes you complicit. So uh, there. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. That's how you say naked in the Bible. Okay? So I just, if you ever run into that, you just say naked. 
and they were naked, and they were ashamed. And so they, they uh, uh, sewed fig leaves together and made covenants from themselves. The reason that's included there, because it's in tar- stark contrast to what we read at the end of chapter 2. In chapter 2, at the very end, when men and women understood God's purpose and the, and the oneness of community, there did not exist conflicts or shame in that sense. So they were, the author says, they were naked but felt no shame. There was of one fleshness to it. But now, now that they see the potential for good as evil, now they see each other and, and they feel afraid. They feel ashamed and so they cover themselves. You see, there's a, there's a strong contrast between these two options. In this one, we take our cues and our direction and our image from God. In this one, we take our cues and our directions from ourselves. Do you see that? And the Bible tells us here, as he continues, <clears throat> that uh, they, 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 they hid themselves. Look at this. And then the man and his wife, verse 8, you following with me? Are you just trusting what I'm reading here? It could be fake news. <laughs> then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God from amongst the trees. This is really such an important verse and a crucial, crucial point for us to understand the difference that exists between the, the way God intended us to live and the way we have chosen to live. See, in God's original intent, and I know it's hard for us to fathom, but God would walk in a garden and he would take a walk with his sons and daughters. Isn't that cool? I know. It's a cool thing. I know it's cool because I have kids, and I remember as a, as a kid, my dad would sometimes wake me up early Sunday mornings, uh, and he said, come, come, come. And before my brothers would get up, I was like, oh, me first, me first. So I wanted to be with my father. And we would take a walk down to the city market, and we would get this oppy drink, which is like a Bolivian purple drink. I know it sounds weird. And we would drink, and I was just like, I'm me and my dad, like, you know. Like, we, we guys, all of us. When we were kids, we needed time to be with our fathers. And your children, if you have boys, they need some time with you in particular. Like, this is a special moment. It solidifies the connection and the identity. It marks. And the Bible tells us that that's the kind of relationship God had with us. That he would walk and we would go to walk with him. That we could talk openly. I try to maintain this relationship with my daughters as well. Sometimes we're in the car, right, Layla, wherever you are. We're in the car and we're going to school. Sometimes it's just the two of us. And there, and she says, hey, I have a question, and we can talk, right? I cherish those moments. I know they won't always be available. This moment of access, where she says, what does this mean, or what should I do in this situation? And I can speak words of comfort and encouragement to her. That's the way God intended us to live with him. But when we followed the temptation, look what happens next. God is still intending. He's walking in the garden as usual. He wants to hang out with us, but... Men and women hide from God. We have replaced that relationship, the wanting to be with God, in communion with him, along his likeness and his image, and we've replaced it with one that runs from God. You feeling me? This is what now begins to identify uh, humankind, that we're running from God, and they hid from God. And the Bible tells us that God says, where are you? Isn't that cool? <laughs> like he didn't know. <laughs> Hey, where are you guys at? You, you know what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> you kids ever do that? And you're like, hey, where's my kids? And they're like, <laughs> they're hiding, and they think you can't see them. You, and you're like, I don't know where you are. Free five, four, five, here I come. I, I play that game all the time. God says, hey, where are you? 
And they say, we heard you in the garden and we were afraid. And I was afraid because I was naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? You see that? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Right, parents? I said I would never do that as a kid, but I do do it. Hey, did you take the cookies from the cookie jar? And they're like, no. Are you sure? I found it. I told, I told you this before. I used to tell my kids, uh, don't lie to me. And they're like, I'm not. And I would say, tell me the truth. They're like, I, I am. And then I said, okay, tell me what really happened. Oh, you want to know what really happened? Oh, okay, okay. Then I'll tell you. <laughs> they don't know what that means. Truth, lie, they don't know what, what really happened. Oh, what really happened? Oh, yeah, I ate the cookie. Okay. <laughs> and God says, did, hey, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat? And, of course, you know the rest of the story. The man says, the woman you put here, she gave me some fruit from the tree. Cowards. That's right. I said it. Coward. The woman, she gave me some fruit. And God says to the woman, what have you done? He's feeling it. There we go. And she says, not me, the serpent. The serpent deceived me. And so it begins. Because in this other relationship, rather than drawing our identity, our instructions, our path of living from God's constant companionship, in this way, we have to find our way. We hide. We're ashamed. And we create rationalizations for what we do. You hear that? Now, I know it sounds silly when we talk about them, but you and I are engaged in that life all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This past week, you did something you weren't supposed to, and you caught yourself, and the Holy Spirit told you, mm-mm. And you said, no, but you see, what, what, what happened, what, what happened was, right? So I hadn't tell him the truth because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. Oh, see, if, 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 I, if, I, if I fess up to this, it's going to make matters worse. Yeah, it was just a little white lie. I won't do it again. It only happened one time. What's the big deal? We constantly are finding rationalizations for the choices that we've made. You see me? You follow me? Because we have replaced God and we have positioned ourselves as determining what is right and what is wrong. That was not God's intention. You know why? Because we can't handle the truth. I don't know what's happening. I really don't know. It's just coming out. I apologize. We can't handle the knowledge that God has. We're created. We're not creators. We can't handle the power that God has. We would misuse it. We clearly do. It was never God's intention to pattern us that way. What he did intend for us to do was to live in constant relationship with him. We were made for community. I want you to look at this. God speaks to the serpent and says, because you have done this, cursed are you. This is verse 14. Cursed are you above the livestock and the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust for the days of your life. Verse 15, very important. If you're an Adventist, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, listen to this. And God speaks and he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head but you will strike his heel there at the very beginning when we walked away from God chose a different path replaced ourselves in his place God said now we must be separated we are cursed cursed is the ground if you read the rest we are cursed the land is cursed man we were supposed to work but that work was supposed to be good we were going to do as Pastor Kayla said do take care of the beach and make it beautiful but now we got the sweat we're under this curse but God takes that curse and he says, I will put that curse on the serpent and I will send the offspring to crush that serpent. Right at the very beginning, God would not allow his heart 
would not allow his children to be cursed. So he said, I will send. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his seal. This, for us good Adventist theologians, is the plan of salvation. There at the very beginning. <laughs> Where God says, I... If you read the rest, if you read the rest, the rest of chapter 3, God then turns to man and woman and he says, guys, 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 now I have to let you live the consequences of your decisions. And he curses them from the garden. He turns to the God, uh, the, the, the Trinity, and he says, now that he has uh, eaten of that tree, he is as us. He knows the difference between good and evil. We must not allow him to eat of the tree of life too. So he banishes from the garden, from God's presence, from God's constant companionship. But that breaks the heart of God. And that's why if you fast forward, the Bible says, for, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. See, we were designed to be in communion, in his likeness. It's innate. We want to be like him. It's in there. It's how you were wired, how you were created. It's how God made us. But we've been trying to fill that need and that desire with all kinds of cheap substitutes. And it leads to disastrous results. Following after things that overpromise and underdeliver. Following after people who lead us away from God. But God has been very clear. There are so many things he says yes to and there are some things he says no to. And now... He's in the process of reclaiming each and every one of us. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came and he paid a sacrifice so that the gap created between God's intention and our reality could be overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, God does not want us to be far from his presence. God wanted to walk with us in the cool of the day. God wanted to have that relationship where he could talk to you, where you could ask him, where you could hear his words of counsel, not in judgment, but in love, the same way as a father you talk to your children, the same way as a mother you want to love and bless and correct them. But sometimes the kids reject that, right? They don't understand. They think, what do you know? You don't have my best interests at heart. And we create the separation. And God says, how can I let you know? How can I convince you? I know. I'll go myself. Jesus came, became one of us, so that we might know from his physical presence in our midst how much he really loves us and what he's willing to do to bring us back to our original creation. God has been ever since in the process of recreating in us his likeness his image. And he sends us, this is Jesus' words from the Gospels, from the book of Mark and the book of John. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will send another, a counselor, to be with you always. And when he comes, he will guide you into all truths. He will guide you into all truths. It is God's intention that the Holy Spirit be with you each and every day to take you from this path back towards that one. The one that you were made for. You and I were made to be like him. To be like God. Not as God, but to be like him. That is why we have this innate desire to be with one another. And why Sabbath is my favorite day of the week. Because we get to be together today. <laughs>
get to pray for one another today. There's a sound so sweet when our voices join together and sing praise to God that I cannot achieve on my own, no matter how loud I blast the radio. It's the sound of God's people entering into his original intention for us to be one with one another. For God said through Jesus' words, the first and greatest commandment is that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We were made to love him. And it says, but the second one is like unto it, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. Right? You see that? Friends, that is so different from what the world is selling now. That is so different from what stuff we're being advertised. This is who we really are, meant to be. This is who God created us to be. And that's why I hope Sabbath is also your favorite the other week. We come into God's house and into his presence and we lay down our pride, our ego, our bad decisions and our rationalizations, and we come before God and we say, God, I don't want to direct my own life. I want you to lead me. Father, in the cool of this day, walk with me. Tell me. Teach me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Tell me what is yes and what is no. Don't let me fool myself into thinking that I can determine what is right and what is wrong. Don't let me put trust in my own abilities or even in the people around me that say they will, but let me trust you and you alone, for you are my Father. God, today, give me, give me a ducktail. Put your hands through my hair. Tell me how much you love me today. Guide me and encourage me today. You are my Father. You are my God. Would you stand with me and let's praise God and sing these words and ask for God's help to follow Him and Him only.